0: Good morning everyone. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Brookside. And, and, and we say this a lot. We hope you hear us say this a lot anyway, but we're glad you're here. It's great to, to have you with us this morning and to worship our Lord together this morning. So we're going to keep saying it. Hopefully hear us say this a lot from, from up front, from the hallways, but it's because we mean that we really are genuinely glad to worship together, to worship our Lord together this morning. Well, I love this time of year. I was just talking to somebody earlier this morning about how great it is that the seasons are changing, right? Earlier this week, I think it was in the 50s or 60s, a couple of evenings, so it was great to be doing just a little bit of work outside in the yard in that sort of weather. It's great to have football season kind of underway, we at least got a kickoff in, right? And that, that, that's a promise of more to come, right? So it's great to have football season kind of underway. It's great. My, my boys are getting back in the swing of all their school activities and, and enjoying it. So many new things are starting around Brookside with all the programs that are coming up this fall. I love it. But usually it's about this time of year that I also start to feel a little overwhelmed with a flurry of activity that's kind of trying to get my attention. Right, I mean, there are so many good things that are trying to fill my schedule and get on my priority list. And I know I'm not the only one that feels this way. I talk with other people all the time who are in that same kind of whirlwind, trying to get a handle on how are we going to kind of put the things that matter most front and center in our lives. And so usually what Carrie and I do is it takes us two or three weeks to get into the craziness that is our lives every school year before we just call a timeout, call pause for a second, And we say, okay, how are we going to prioritize what matters most to our family for this upcoming semester or this coming year? How do we make sure that our priorities drive our schedule rather than having our schedule dictate our priorities? How do we keep what matters most front and center in our lives? And that same sort of thing is what we're doing right now in this teaching series as a church family. We wanna take some of these things that are flurrying around us, right? All this good stuff that's going on. And we wanna start to organize that under and around certain priorities that we wanna keep front and center. And so maybe you're new to Brookside, right? Maybe you've just been here for a few weeks. Maybe a friend invited you. You just moved to Omaha. We hope this series where we talk about what's front and center to us, we hope it's really valuable at helping you get to know our church family so you know what matters most to us because whatever else is swirling around us in this whirlwind of activity, these are the things we want to prioritize. We want to keep front and center. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a passage in the Gospel of John where this really important character in the Gospel of John, his name is John the Baptist, he makes it clear what's front and center for him. His life is built under and around the greatness of Jesus Christ. His focus isn't on himself. His focus isn't on climbing some personal ladder of success, no matter the cost. His cause is Christ. I mean, look at what he says in John chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist, right? He's kind of at the peak of his success And he's starting to see some of that disappear. And instead of trying to to scurry to kind of protect and hoard his success, he says, no, he, meaning Jesus, Jesus must become greater. And I must become less. Brookside, we want those words to become our own. We want those words to kind of become an anthem for us where we genuinely say, Jesus, be greater in our lives. We want to do this as a church, and we want you to do this as individuals in your lives, in your homes, with your friends, in your families. And then last week, we looked at two kind of manly men guys in the Old Testament. King David, who who would become King David, I guess, and Jonathan, and we looked at these two men who had this deep friendship, and we learned about true community. You see, we weren't designed to do life alone. And in this world of loneliness and superficial relationships that we kind of find ourselves in, we want to figure out how to lean into God's design for us. Since we were created to live in true community, what does that look like? And how do we figure that out and move in that direction with all of the awkwardness and mess that usually goes along with that? But how do we move that direction to live lives of true, deep community with others? And so I love that 160 people responded last week and made connections into our community groups. It's great. We want to figure that out, right? How we continue to be a church that prioritizes true community and keeps that front and center. So so all of that is just where we've been. So now let me pray for us, and then we'll move into new territory, get into what we've got for today. Heavenly Father, God, even now, I pray for us that we would make John the Baptist's words that we just read. God, help us to make those our own. Jesus, uh, may you become greater. May we become less for these next few minutes as we're together. This afternoon in our, in our homes, with our friends, our families, our neighborhoods. And God, this week, may, may you become greater. And now, Father, as we turn our attention to the Bible, God, God, my request is that you would just open our eyes so we would see wonderful things in your word to us. God, by your Holy Spirit in us, give us ears to hear, give us lives that are ready to obey, and, and give us hearts that delight in what you've spoken to us. So with Jesus, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, a lot of you know that I am a huge Husker fan. And so, so even though all we got to see last night was, was kickoff, it was worth it for me. Like the, the whole buildup of yesterday, just to see the tunnel walk, to see the kickoff. And I'm like, okay, that was enough, right? Saturdays have meaning again. But, but as much as I'm looking forward to next week, right, and the weeks after that, and actually seeing some playing time, Uh, Obviously, what what I'm most concerned about as a fan is the game time of what actually happens on Saturdays when the Huskers are playing whoever they're playing and how they're competing during that 60 minutes of game time. But it was interesting for me this last week to hear Coach Coach Frost. He was in a press conference just this last Monday, and and he kind of gave a little bit of insight into what's most important to him as he thinks about the team. Listen to this. So, so here's the setup. One of the reporters in the press conference asks Frost whether he feels like his team would be game ready for Saturday. And here's what, here's what Coach Frost says. He says, we've got to have a good week of practice. We preach to the guys all the time that you don't show up on Saturday and all of a sudden play well. Right? Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, these determine how well you're going to play on Saturday. Then he continues by saying, We win the game or lose it today, Monday, or tomorrow and Wednesday. Saturday is just a reflection of how well they've prepared. I mean, did you hear that? What matters most to Scott Frost isn't Saturdays. Now, I'm sure he cares a lot about Saturdays. But what matters most to him is what happens on Monday. And a Tuesday and Wednesday. Because we just read it, right? Because Saturdays then are just a reflection of that. And so Scott Frost knows what every coach in here, what every athlete in here, whatever, whatever musician or performer, whatever, what all of us in here know that you play how you practice. If you want to play at a high level, if you want to play well. You've got, to, you've, you've got to. You've got to. You've uh, got to. You've got to prepare well. You've got to practice well. And in the New Testament book of First Timothy, the Apostle Paul, what he's all about in this letter is helping Timothy play well, as he leads the church in this really important city in the first century. Called Ephesus. So this book, 1 Timothy, is written towards the end of Paul's life. He knows that he just has just a little bit of time left, and he knows that he's passing important information off to one of his key, probably his key successor in ministry. And so this book is just dripping with intensity. And the clear focus of this book, what's what's closest to Paul's heart here, is that Paul wants the church in Ephesus to be vibrant, to be healthy, to be flourishing, right? he, He wants the church to embody the gospel and to advance the gospel in a city that needs the gospel. And so this is mission critical for Paul to pass along to Timothy. He wants Timothy to serve faithfully. And these are all the same sorts of things we're passionate about today. How do we embody and advance the gospel in our city that needs the gospel? And so what that means is what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy, we should all be listening in. This is for all of us. This isn't just 2,000 years ago. This is for today. And then in the middle of this playbook where, where Paul is telling Timothy, okay, here's what a healthy church looks like. In the middle of this playbook, look at what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 7 and 8. In the middle of verse 7, Paul says, train yourself to be godly, right? In, this, in the middle of this playbook on how to build a healthy church and how to, how to play well, right? As a church, Paul says, Timothy, you, you play how you practice. And so if we want a healthy church, Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Verse 8, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Train yourself to be godly. This is the next priority that we we will keep front and center in the life of of Brookside, in the life of our church. Now, when some of you hear that phrase, train yourself to be godly, I I can imagine that, that some of you are conjuring up this word godly And you think of some image of a super Christian. I mean, whatever that even means to you. You hear that and you say, I can't be godly. Or or others of you hear that command, train yourself to be godly. And you think of someone who lives this really boring life. That's removed from everything that you deal with Monday through Saturday. And you hear that and you're like, I don't want to be godly. Well, to all of you, let, let me say, keep listening, right? Don't tune me out. Don't plan your exit yet. Because as we dig into this passage, because that's what we do at Brookside, we just want to keep digging into passages and see the truth that is there for us. As we dig into this passage, you'll see how good of an idea it is for you to train yourself in godliness. And so here's what we'll see today just through a few questions we're going to ask of this passage. We'll ask, what even is true godliness? And we'll see that true godliness, it's not boring. Instead, true godliness is inviting and compelling. We'll ask, why does godliness even matter? What difference does it make? And we'll see, just in those verses we read, Paul gives us clear motivation. That he says, training yourself for godliness is, is the best It is the most lasting thing you can do. And then last question. We'll just get practical. We'll say, okay, how can I do it? How can I grow in godliness? Because here's the difference that studying a passage like this can make in your life. You can move from saying, I don't want to grow in godliness to saying, okay, I I want that. And I see the value that it has for my life. By the end of today, some of you will be saying you want to start training for godliness or maybe others of you you've been following jesus for a long time you know you've been on a plateau you've kind of been stagnant in your training for maybe weeks months years maybe some of you will say okay i need to i need to dig back in i need to get over this plateau and i want to keep training in godliness i'm not going to take my foot off the gas pedal or maybe the difference studying this passage makes for you is that you move from saying, I can't grow in godliness, to, to saying instead, I, I can and I will grow in godliness. Because now by the end of today, you'll have some tools by which you can do that. You'll leave here with confidence and a direction and some very practical ideas for how you can, how you can get in the gym and start training yourself for godliness, so, so all of that is just where we're going. So let's start with the first question, start getting into that passage I read. What is true godliness? What are we training for when Paul tells you, train yourself to be godly? Well, let me start off with a, with a few things this isn't, right? Just so we're clear on that, because this, this can be misunderstood very easily doesn't mean you have to stay inside and pray all day, or anything like that, that you have to remove yourself from your daily responsibilities. Very clear answer is no. Think of some of the most godly people we read about in the Bible. I mean, if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll know these names. Names like Abraham, and Moses, and King David, and Esther, and Peter, and Paul. All of these people were, were, were men and women that had responsibilities and leadership positions. Many of them had had families, they had jobs, they had goals, they had problems. They're just like us. And as we read this book, they're the people we want to be like, they're the people we gravitate towards. And all of them were godly in the midst of everything they found themselves in the middle of. And so godliness doesn't mean we remove ourselves from life. Or another, another thing godliness isn't. Does training ourselves for godliness mean that we need to do certain things to earn our way to God? doesn't mean that I need to spend 30 hours in the gym, right, to earn my way into God's kind of inner circle. Again, the answer is very clearly no, it doesn't. Training for godliness doesn't mean this is what we do to earn a relationship with God. We know that because the Apostle Paul the same guy who wrote 1 Timothy 4 is the same guy who wrote Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And look at what he says very clearly there. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This isn't from yourselves, right? It's the gift of God, not by works, not by what you do, so that no one can boast. And so the good news in that passage is that we don't have to clean ourselves up before God accepts us. God accepts us not because of what you do. God accepts us because of what Jesus has already done. I can't say that more clearly, right? God accepts you not because of what you do. God accepts you because of what Jesus has done. And so those are some of the things training for godliness doesn't mean. But but what does godliness mean? That word godliness there, it it literally means the honoring of God in everyday life, right? It means we have a big view of God where we honor Him, and then we do that in everyday life. doesn't mean you're removed from what you always do. It means you're embedded in what you already do as a student, as a blue-collar worker, as a white-collar worker, as a mom or a dad or or in your neighborhood or your apartment complex or whatever it is, while you're embedded in everyday life, all of the relationships that are involved in that, you honor God in all of those spheres of influence that you have. So godliness isn't removing us from anything. Godliness Godliness just says while we are embedded, wherever God has you, you honor God. You have a big view of God and then let the implications of that trickle out into everyday life. Or I was talking with someone just a little earlier this week about this, about what godliness looks like, and their immediate on-point reaction was, doesn't that just mean the fruit of the Spirit? Right? Because the fruit of the Spirit, which the Apostle Paul also writes about in Galatians 5, is talking about what God's Spirit produces in us. And so, of course, it's a picture of godliness, Right? So just look at some of this fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, forbearance or, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This picture of godliness there in that fruit of the Spirit, there is nothing unattractive or boring about that. I mean, I'm, I'm drawn to that. I, I spend a lot of time having lunches and meetings with guys, right? As we talk about godliness, I bring this passage up sometimes. The men that I talk with, they are drawn to this, right? Because these virtues, they raise the bar on how, how we're to live. Who doesn't want to be more joyful, more peaceful, have more patience, have more self-control, be more gentle? Everybody wants that because we all know when we grow in these things, it sends ripples out into every other area of our lives, Everybody wins when you grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody wins when you grow in godliness. And so, when we see that godliness is is exemplified in those sorts of virtues that we already know we want, then suddenly godliness isn't something to be avoided. We want these things. Suddenly, godliness is something to be embraced and pursued. We train ourselves in it. So let's drill a little bit more deeply into that by looking at our next question. Why does godliness matter? What difference does it make? Paul provides crystal clear motivation in verse 8. He says, for, for physical training is of some value, right? So, so physical training has its place, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Just think about that. Godliness holds value for right now. Godliness holds value for the present life. At Brookside, we want to make it known very unapologetically that we really believe that following Jesus is the best way to live. So if you're empty or unsatisfied or restless, we would say, maybe that's because only Jesus can fill that void in your heart. Because that's the way we're designed, right? Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Jesus. This doesn't mean, mean following Jesus is easy. It's not rainbows and unicorns or whatever else you think of, right? When you think of, of easy living, it's not some kind of nice downhill coast on a sunny day, following Jesus doesn't mean you get everything you want. But I would still say it is the best way for us to live. Because it gives us us purpose and meaning. It it roots our identity in the right things. Because following Jesus reminds us that, that He's the King of the universe, not you. And every now and then it's good for us to be reminded that we aren't the King of the universe. It reminds us that he's our master, so we follow him as our, as our Savior and our Lord. And at the same time, it roots our identity in knowing that you are more loved than you, can, than you can ever imagine. Because this king of the universe, this master of our lives, became human and died on the cross for you. And so it roots our identity it, that we're beloved, right? That we, that we are the friends of the king of the universe, even as we remain his disciples, Following Jesus, it gives us mission and purpose that is bigger than anything that I would have script for myself, right? And so, so following Jesus, godliness, it offers promise for, for the present life, for the way you live this afternoon, for the way you live this week, for the way you live this semester. Godliness holds promise for the present life. And then godliness holds promise for the life to come. A couple times a year, Carrie and our, our four boys, they usually head out of town for a d- few days. They go back to her parents' place in central Nebraska, just hang out there, spend a few days with her family. And I stay back and I work and I fill up those days and a lot of those evenings with a lot of meetings I just want to stack while they're, while they're gone. But, but during that time, it's inevitable that I'm going to make time to watch that HBO miniseries from a lot of years back on World War II, The Band of Brothers, I'm going to watch the Band of Brothers, and I'm going to watch Gladiator. Sometime during that time, Carrie and the boys are gone. So I've seen Gladiator plenty of times. And, and there's this scene in Gladiator where Russell Crowe's character, Maximus, he's just about ready to lead some troops into battle. And, and, and right kind of to, to rally them for battle, he says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And then, of course, the the, the troops are rallied and off they go roaring into battle. I wonder if Paul is saying something similar here in 1 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, where when he says godliness holds promise for the future life, I wonder if he's saying who you are echoes into eternity. Who you become in, in some way echoes into eternity. It doesn't determine your eternity, right? We know that only our following Jesus does that. But somehow, who you become echoes into eternity. And then whatever else verse 8 means, Paul makes it clear that as you train yourself for godliness, this isn't just training for training's sake. We are training for godliness that holds promise for, for the future life. For eternity. And and so that means that training yourself for godliness is, is the best, the deepest, the most important, lasting, eternal thing you can possibly do. Train yourself for godliness. So now let's let's get to the how question, right? So we've seen what godliness is, we've seen why it matters. Now let's look at how we can actually grow in godliness. What does this mean? How do you do it? You train yourself for it. Just write what Paul said in verse 7. Train yourself for godliness. That word train is from this Greek word, "gymnazo," right? So there's your Greek for the day. You you can kind of hear the word gymnasium in it because that's where we get the word gymnasium from. So when we hear this word train yourself, We should smell the why, right? We should smell the gym on campus or at Lifetime or Genesis or wherever you go because this word is one of effort. It's sweat and strain and pushing yourself past every limit you think you have to get one more rep in. This is an intense, strong word. Train yourself for godliness. In other words, Paul is saying, no one here will drift into godliness. It it doesn't happen by accident. You won't just magically wake up one day and say, wow, I'm really godly today. You, You train yourself for it. So just like everybody that's training for maybe a marathon or whatever you're training for, just like you train intensely for those sorts of things, we train intensely for godliness. This is training that never stops, and it's training that no one else can do for you. Husbands, your wife can't train you for godliness. Wives, your husbands can't do it for you. Children, students, your parents, coaches, whoever, they can't train you for godliness. They they can be a help and a support along the way. But this is only something that you can do for yourself. Train yourself for godliness. So, so, so let's get specific on what that means. If someone's going to come up to me and say, Tim, what are, what are just a few things I can do to start training myself for godliness? Without hesitation, here are the four things I would point them towards. These are four, four ways we can train for godliness that, that followers of Jesus have been doing for thousands of years, right? They're rooted in the Bible, and they're tested by time. So we want to pay attention to these things. There's obviously more than four. You can read about those on your own, right? A lot of good things you can do, but, but if somebody says, what are the four things I can do? And because I've got like six minutes left, <laughs> you know, what are we going to do? What, what, what four things can we do to train for godliness, First of all, you read and engage the Bible, right? So so you read and engage. This isn't just reading the Bible to check off a list. This isn't just reading the Bible where it goes in one ear and out the other. This is where we read and engage the Bible. This is where we get into the Bible in such a way that the Bible gets into us, right? So this isn't for information. This is for transformation, We read and we engage the Bible. Dallas Willard is a guy we quote around here often. Look at what he says. He says, it is astonishing how little of the Bible is known by people who profess to honor it. Ouch. It is is astonishing how little of the Bible is known by people who profess to honor it. If we don't know it, how can it help us? I believe the Bible can help you, can help me. The Bible itself says this book is useful for for training us into every good work. But for that to happen, we need to know it. We need to read it. You need to engage it. And there is no substitute for engaging the Bible besides just spending time in it. Reading it, studying it, memorizing it, thinking about it deeply throughout the day, about what does this passage mean for the way that I live my life today and this week right now. This is why we will continue to encourage you to read the Bible daily. This is why we we offer this 365 Bible reading brochure that we're going to keep producing for you, right? Just that way for people that are looking for a place to start, we've got a place for you to start. So that way you can read it and engage it on your own. If you're ever looking for one of these, you can pick them up out at Connection Corner on any Sunday right outside our auditorium, right? So so we read and engage the Bible. This is why we're advocates of journaling through what you read. Because when I journal through my reading, it it pushes me to get past some sort of superficial reading and to say, okay, Tim, really engage it. Because when I write stuff, out. It just forces me to think about it at a deeper level. So we want to read and engage the Bible. Another thing we want to do to to train yourself for godliness is pray. You don't have to use fancy words or phrases for this, right? You just talk with God. That's what prayer means. You thank Him for for who He is, for what He's done. You you own your stuff, right? You, You confess your sin, And then you certainly bring your requests to him. You just let him know what's on your mind. But but prayer is one of those habits that Christians practice that that reminds us that our relationship with God is just that. It's a relationship. And just like every other good relationship, it depends on and grows through communication. Third thing you do to train yourself for godliness is you serve as Americans, we have got to realize that we are trained to think like consumers, right? What's in it for me and how conveniently can I get it? Now, not all of that is bad. I love drive throughs right? I love self-checkouts at grocery stores. But at the same time, we have to understand that, that if we don't balance this consumeristic impulse in us, if we don't balance that out with this equal awareness that you are designed not just to consume you are designed to contribute if we don't balance those two things out we will get lopsided very quickly you are designed to contribute you have something to offer that others need maybe that's maybe that's something as important as rocking babies in the nursery, helping with kids' ministry, leading a small group of kids, right? There's people out there right now down the hall doing that, serving faithfully week after week, month after month. Maybe it's serving in our youth ministries on a Wednesday night, leading a small group of middle schoolers or high schoolers. Maybe it's being a smiling face on host team or our parking lot team. Maybe it's making a meal for somebody in your apartment complex. I don't know what it is, but what I do know is that you are designed to contribute. And serving is one of the ways God just made us work to to train yourself in godliness. Last thing I'll mention for how to train yourself for godliness is community. We talked about this a bunch last week, right? But I'll say it again. We are designed for relationships. We need a community like a small group where you can be truly known and where you can truly know others as well. And then besides our community groups, which do do such a good job with that, we also need the community of gathered worship, what we are doing right here, right now, where we simply remind ourselves week after week that following Jesus is not just about me. I am part of a family of believers who is moving toward Jesus, who is following him who is worshiping Him, who is serving Him. You see, one of the things we need to be reminded of every now and then is is you can't podcast life with God. You can't podcast being the church. The church, by definition, is a family that, that worships and learns and serves and just fellowships, does community together. And so, so let's, let's look at all those things together. Just, let's keep this up on the screen for a minute. Read and engage the Bible. Pray, serve, do community. These are how you train yourself for godliness. So, so my, my first question for some of you is, if this is all brand new to you, training yourself for godliness, I would, say, I would say write all these four down and then over the next seven to 10 days, think of one small thing you can do to move in each of these directions, right? I mean, maybe that's just a small baby step you feel like, but, but a baby step is better than nothing, right? If, if you need some help, talk to somebody who you know has been following Jesus for a while. Ask them what they do in each of these areas. Or even better, if, if you're here and you've been following Jesus for a while, take the first step towards someone you know is a new believer and say, hey, I don't want to be weird or anything, but can I, can I just tell you how, how I've learned to train myself for godliness, to grow towards Jesus and towards the fruit of the Spirit. And then share what you do in a few of these categories. Or or others of you, this is the thousandth time you've heard a sermon like this in church. Right? Where where you've kind of heard, yeah, I know what godliness is, I know why it's it's important, and I've heard about spiritual disciplines, which is just kind of a fancy word for what these are called. For, for, For you, I say, Keep your foot on the gas pedal, right? Don't get bored with these things, and then don't get imbalanced. Because personally, I gravitate towards a couple of these, and I gravitate less towards a couple others. So I need to fight, I need to train myself to stay balanced in all four of these areas. I was talking with a couple guys, or actually I was overhearing a couple guys. Uh, a couple months ago, whenever it was, talk about um, how they needed to, to like, not skip leg day, right? There are guys who work out consistently. They probably gravitate more towards the upper body workouts, core workouts. And so they were encouraging each other not to skip leg day so they don't become just this mass of muscle walking around on toothpick legs. They knew that they needed to be balanced in their workout. So too for us. We need to be balanced in our training. We need to do all of these, not just our favorite one, but all of these are God-ordained means by which you grow in godliness. We need to follow that, lean into that. We need to train ourselves to be godly. And then for all of us, don't forget what these disciplines are for. These disciplines are for godliness. They're not ends in themselves, We're not just reading the Bible to know some stuff. We're not just serving with middle school to fill up a Wednesday night. We are training ourselves for godliness. And hopefully being one thing that God uses to help others with godliness. And so never forget to train yourself, but to train yourself specifically for godliness. That's our goal, is godliness. Honoring God in your everyday life. Showing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we're pursuing. All right, I know for the last few minutes I've been talking a lot about things that we do to grow in godliness. And we don't want to back away from that as we put ourselves under the truth of what we've seen in First Timothy 4. But at the same time, I want to make sure that we all hear that as you train yourself for godliness, God's expression in that isn't like one of angry demand, right? Where he's this coach yelling at you with spit coming out of his mouth, do that lap faster, kind of always looking at his, that's me with my stopwatch or whatever he's doing, right? That's not God's facial expression. Nor is God's facial expression one of disappointment, where he just slumps his head, shrugs his shoulders and says, well, I guess Tim messed up again. It's not what God does when we, when we trip up or fall short. You see, God's facial expression, I believe, as you train yourself for godliness, as you move this direction, as you put yourself in this lane, God's facial expression is one of, is one of care and, and invitation. He's cheering you on in all of this. Even if you stumble And even when you move more slowly than you want to move towards godliness. And the reason I can say that so confidently is because of the good news of the gospel. Because God's acceptance of you doesn't depend on what you do. God's acceptance of you, His pleasure in you is entirely because of what Jesus has already done for you. And so, again, let me just say it, we don't do any of these things to earn favor with God. Everything we do is a response to the grace that we've already been shown. This is grace that you have been offered and can experience by just choosing to place your faith in Jesus, saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I want to follow you as my Savior and my my Lord, and so, so I'm going to move that direction with you firmly in place as my Savior and as my Lord. Let me say it as clearly as I can Everything you do to train in godliness, all of that rests on what Jesus has already done for us.